Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today, Erickson immigration attorneys Stephanie Tan and Salman Chima discuss global alternatives to receiving an H-1B. They break down the various options available for working abroad in countries such as Ireland, Singapore, United Kingdom, and Australia, to name a few. If travel is in your heart and you consider working for your company abroad for a period of time, this is an inside guide personalized for you. Come join us beyond borders. So with the recent H-1B cap filed in April 1st, 2018 for the cap cases, we're starting to get return notices. We're starting to get approval notices, but about the people that are outside of their last chance for the H-1B cap, um, you know, students or people even abroad that weren't selected, we're looking at options to offshore these employees to multinational offices abroad so that they can still be employed with the company, but maybe outside of the U.S. and then bring them back in the future to the U.S. So let's say I'm a student and I've been recruited out of college. I'm working for a company, a well-known company. Maybe I'm on OPT and now my OPT is coming to an end. My, the company sponsored me for an H-1B and I didn't get in through the lottery. I don't have enough tenure for an L-1. Uh, I'm running out of options here in the U.S., but the company really wants to keep me uh, I'm a talented person, so let's say they want to move me somewhere. What are some options where uh, for me? Sure. So the company will usually reach out to people who are on the last chance of their H-1B cap opportunities, like filing for the cap, and they'll reach out to the Immigration Council, and we'll start assessing options for offshoring you for you know one year or maybe potentially transferring you permanently abroad if you like it outside of the U.S. better, um, and then. We also will review options to come back to the U.S. on an L or an H-1B cap for the next fiscal year. So one of the good things about a lot of these visas are that you're not really tied to them. So let's say your long-term plan is to be in the United States. What are some aspects about a lot of the visas that we've talked about that allow you to come back? When you're going abroad, you're then qualifying, you're accruing time to qualify potentially for an L1 coming back to the U.S. intercompany transfer. Um, also, you can be put on the H-1B you know, filings for the next fiscal year. So being abroad, still working for that same employer as you were in the U.S. opens up you know, an additional opportunity for you to come back to the U.S. Right. That's another great thing about the global group, because we get to help people who might be despairing about their, their situation. They don't know what they're going to do. And then we can step in. What are some countries that people are looking at and from our clients' perspectives? Yeah. So it definitely depends on where the foreign offices are. But for the APAC region, a very popular is Australia because they speak English. Um, Singapore as well has a high expat population and they're very fast to get a work permit in Singapore. Um, for the EMEA region, you'll see people going to the UK and Ireland again because of language. You know, they both speak English and a lot of European um, hubs are in Ireland or in the UK. Um, and then, of course, there's Canada. A lot of people want to go to Canada because it's the same time zone as the U.S. And so those are the most popular countries that we look at commonly to uh, assess uh, work permit options for those backups to H-1B. So I think there's a misconception out there that Canada is the backup plan for anybody in America. We were just talking about this earlier today. And it's actually not that easy to get into Canada, as people might think. So talk to us a little bit about why that is. Sure. So Canada... 
They have some good work permit options from 18 to 35. There's the International Experience Canada work permit process, depending on someone's nationality. Um, but those are also based on a lottery, so it's not a guaranteed work permit. Um, so that's something to consider. Um, also, the intercompany transfer to Canada is probably the best option if you have like a current F1 holder who has at least one year of work experience with your company in the U.S., um, then they could likely go to Canada based on their experience, needing still that specialized knowledge of the company, like their products, their technology, their processes. So there's still some sort of like evidence that you need to show that they're qualified to go to Canada as intercompany transfer. Um, the regular, I would guess, like H-1B equivalent type of work permit in Canada is called the labor market impact assessment, which really is like perm recruitment for work permit. So we really don't see a lot of people doing the LMIA for, you know, recent grads or people who have only been working for their company a couple years. Um, and so the intercompany transfer is definitely the best option if that person has at least one year of work experience in the U.S., yeah, I think it's important for people to remember that even if you do everything right, you file your H-1B, there's still only a 40 to 45% chance that you're going to get selected. So it's important to work with your company and to be aware of, of other options that might work for you. Uh, one of the jurisdictions that we've been seeing a lot of stuff happening with lately is in the UK. Now, we know Brexit is a big concern for people. So what are we seeing in terms of Brexit and other options there that companies might have? Sure. So Brexit isn't going to impact any non-EU nationals. So at least if you have an H-1B uh, backup person that obviously is an EU national, they can still go to the UK and work right now. Um, March 29, 2019 is when, you know, the UK is slated to exit the European Union. But right now, all things are status quo. Like you can have a European national go to UK, work for them. For your non-EU nationals, um, such as the Chinese nationals or Indian nationals, um, there is the tier two intercompany transfer, similar like requirement as Canada. You need one year of work experience in the US to qualify. Um, but it is pretty fast. It's about four to six week processing time for that intercompany transfer. You don't really need to show that specialized knowledge as much as you would in Canada, um, but you just need to show that they've been working abroad, you know, outside of the UK before they transfer. One thing that I've noticed is a lot of people are inquiring more about Ireland as, a, as an alternative to the UK. And I think the reason is because they're a member of the EU. You don't have to worry about uh, not being able to settle there. And then you have the, um, the added uh, flexibility of the uh, intracompany transfer and the CSEP. Can you talk to us a little bit about Ireland and why that's becoming so popular? Sure. Um, kind of like you said, along with going with Brexit, there are companies that are looking to hire more in Ireland than the UK because they want their employees to know that there's some sort of permanent residency rights or long-term pathway to um, residence. And so we see more companies going to Ireland and with the trusted partner applications, the processing time could be as close or as little as three to five weeks. Um, whereas regular applications are taking upwards of 14 weeks over the summertime. In Ireland, the intercompany transfer only requires six months of tenure with the company in the U.S. Um, before you transfer to Ireland. So that's a little bit uh, better, but it does require a contract outside of Ireland. So if you have someone on H-1B 
uh, cap list that wasn't selected and they can't stay on a U.S. contract, um, they would have to be placed on a local contract somewhere. So they would most likely need to get a critical skills employment permit, which is commonly referred to as a CSEP. Or they could get the general employment permit, um, known as the GEP in Ireland. So we've talked a lot about different jurisdictions here, and you've had a lot of experience with countries all around the world and their immigration systems. What do you think are some things that that are happening globally, trend-wise, in immigration? Global immigration, you know, it's hard to generalize with the world, but what we've been seeing is more labor market testing requirements um, from different countries, such as Australia introducing their labor market test. Um, We're seeing longer processing times, unfortunately, especially during the summer. You're going to get people who are on vacation, like Europe. They close down for a couple months over the summer. Um, We'll see higher RFEs or the equivalent of like RFEs abroad, where people are really starting to look at the meat of applications where it used to be just approved maybe in one to two weeks um, for like straightforward cases now they're really starting to like narrow down in on what was the salary range in this job advertisement does it match the actual offered salary or you know they're looking more at do they have police clearances from the state and the country they lived in so it's definitely getting a little stricter at the borders countries are looking at the foreign nationals they're allowing in a little stricter So I've noticed that even in countries that are very pro-business, like Singapore, where you can get a highly qualified employee in there within a few weeks, they've taken some protectionist measures too. So what's a recent protectionist measure that they've taken in terms of uh, requirements for an employee? Sure. So in Singapore, um, they for labor market test exemption, they recently increased their salary threshold to $15,000 a month. Um, Singapore dollars, um, if you make $15,000, Singapore dollars a month or more, you do not need to do the 14-day labor market testing, um, whereas it used to be 12000 So they're really it's looking- like a 30-some percent increase. Yeah, they're really know. looking at the wages that foreign nationals are getting and then also obviously the, the taxes, like the companies and will pay taxes on the higher wages that they're going to be um, requiring or having those foreign nationals working in Singapore. And we've sort of done a project recently where we did a global right to work check. Uh, what have, what kind of things did we find in that, that that you saw that maybe countries are taking a cue from the United States in that regard? So I would say majority of countries don't necessarily have like an I-9 form. You know, they have certain onboarding requirements, but they're not going to have an example form like we do in the U.S. Um, But there definitely are still right to work check requirements that the company should do, whether it's mandated by the government or, you know, best practice for the company, because obviously you're going to get fined or, you know, uh, penalized if you're hiring someone who doesn't have work authorization. So it's a good you know, due diligence exercise for the company to make sure they're doing these right to work checks and conducting them before people start working. Right. So lastly, what are some things that you think the U.S. can adopt that we've seen abroad? I mean, we've seen a lot of different programs that have been implemented overseas. One thing that I really like about a lot of these jurisdictions is just the speed with which they can operate compared to the U.S. But what, what, what do you think are some things that we could possibly adopt? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely the we have premium processing in the U.S., but it's not like everything can be premium processed. Um, I think 
if we had some sort of like trusted partner or accredited sponsorship application program for corporations, maybe that would help. DOL certifications would go faster or, Mm -hmm. you know, those type of things like we have in Australia, um, Ireland. Ireland, Yeah. Um, Also, visa appointment expedites, you know, Mm -hmm. something as easy as expediting your visa appointment. Right now it's discretionary towards Mm -hmm. each consulate, but if they could pay extra to get like a advanced appointment, because sometimes people don't know when they need to travel for business and they have to get a visa pretty quickly. Um, And I know some consulates do allow for expedited processing, like the Chinese consulate, for example, could process a business visa in two days, whereas you might have to wait for an appointment at the U.S. consulate for like four weeks. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at EIGlaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIGlaw to join in the conversation. Thank you for listening. See you next time.